I'm going to look at what might perhaps be an elephant in the room. Does everybody know what I mean when I say the elephant in the room? Maybe that thing that uh, is there, but we don't pay attention to it. And we'll go to a scripture in just a few moments, but just bear with me because I've reached a, a kind of uh, in-between age in certain respects because uh, I'm too old to be young and I'm too young to be old. And the elders think I'm young, but the youngins think I'm old. And then to make things even more awkward, there are things that I really like that make me feel like an elder, like buffets and comfortable shoes and hymns and barber shops and, uh, and things, that, uh, things that when I was young were not necessarily appealing to me. I, I remember when I was young, my parents would be excited to go to a, a restaurant where they had turnip greens. And I could not understand why they would want, why would anybody eat turnip greens on purpose? I couldn't understand it. And now, I, boy, I'd drive half an hour to get some good turnip greens. And I'd pay good money for it because we change and we get older and things happen. But then at the same time, there are, there are youthful things that I still really enjoy. And sometimes I still feel young. And, and then there's that moment. I remember being... Uh, a, a teenager, and I remember uh, we would we would get the hymnal out not all the time, but once in a while, and we would sing a hymn. And I remember being a teenager, and I, I to, if I could just be honest with you, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't enjoy it. And here I am today, and you can't hardly keep me away from a good old fashioned hymnal because I just love the the anointing and the power and i love the biblical tenacity of the hymns how many love the word of god how many believe that you ought to fill your life with music that is pleasing to god music that is pure music that reflects biblical truths and so the hymns do that so beautifully nothing can equal the power of an old hymn and so i'm kind of torn between these worlds i've also had the privilege of growing up in church but not only in the church, but in a pastor's home. And uh, in many ways, it's safe to say that all I've ever known was the ministry. Growing up in a pastor's home and then going right into the ministry out of Bible college, eight years of full-time ministry. And I've noticed that the church has shifted and changed in many ways over the last several decades. And I don't mean doctrinally or theologically, although it has shifted in those areas to some degree, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you about tonight. We, we should talk about that sometime. How many still believe in the truth of the gospel? You still believe that Acts 2.38 is the only saving message? I still believe in holiness and righteousness, and all of that are worthy subjects for another time. But tonight, I'm talking about those Changes that involve style or non-doctrinal changes. For example, just to use an, an example, women today don't wear the beehive hairdos anymore. Does anybody remember that? When I remember going to the general conference, uh, oh, I was real young, and uh, some of them were three feet high. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're going to leave me all by myself. And you know what I found out later? I did not know this until just recently. That in those hairdos, now this is real, some of you men aren't going to believe me, but this is true. 
they would sometimes put cans inside. Anybody know about this? They would put things on top of their head to, to, so they could shape it around that. And, uh, and, and sometimes I found out the hard way at a general conference one time that it's not all real hair either. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Someone got to shout one time at general conference right in front of me and half of the beehive went flying across the room. So some styles have changed. Some things are, are a little different. Most of our churches don't meet in storefronts anymore. There was a time in, in the early days of Pentecost when just about every church you'd visit was in a storefront. Or, or I, I, I love to hear the stories about Apostolic Tabernacle when it met on the hill. And, and uh, many churches have, have changed. They've built buildings. Aren't you thankful that we can meet in a beautiful building like this tonight? We're blessed of the Lord. I know that a lot of hard work went into that. But, but most of our churches have places of worship now. And Here's one I'm really thankful for. Most camp meetings have air conditioning now. Praise God. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I am old enough to remember when I went to junior camp and teen camp, we did not have air conditioning at the campgrounds. What we had was we had these great big giant fans, and I'm not exaggerating when I say they were probably 10 to 12 feet tall and 10 to 12 feet wide and giant turbines in those and they would get those things to roar and you'd think the Holy Ghost was moving but it was the fan just shaking the floor of the building and when at teen camp when they would give the altar call young people would run to the altar as fast as they could and you, if you weren't careful you'd think it's because they were so spiritual but the fans were all at the altar and everybody wanted to be able to pray in front of a fan so everybody was trying to make sure I, I'm going to get to that fan. It's, I don't want to be in the back of the altar call. A lot of people are saved today because the fans were at the front of the altar and not in the back of the building. Praise God. That's the truth. But we have air conditioning now. In fact, it's just been in... in I grew up at the Illinois District Camp. Brother Cole, Bishop, I don't know how long George has had a building there. It may not have been real, real long, but in... In Illinois, for the first many years, two decades of my life, it was open air. You would, it had a roof over you, but everything else was open air. And now most of our campgrounds are enclosed. Oh, aren't we thankful for some of the things that have changed today? I, I'm glad that some things have changed. The pews that I grew up in uh, were hardwood pews. I wish mom was in here tonight. We had hard, not beautiful pews like these. These are beautiful. They have uh, padding on them. They're soft, uh, but we, I grew up on hard wood pews. I mean, and it was a dark wood, and they were really beautiful, if I could just be honest with you. They were gorgeous, but they were the most uncomfortable thing you've ever sat on in your entire life. They really were. And what would happen is a lot of times the volunteer cleanup crew would come in on Saturday because that was the only day they had off work, and people were donating their time, and they would come and they would clean, and they would polish and they would use an oil on those hardwood pews and if you came in on Sunday morning and you were the first person to sit on that hardwood pew and you were wearing light colored clothing you would leave that service with a pew stain like you've never seen before in your life because that oil would get on your clothes and if you would touch it with your hand you get that oil on your hand and it wasn't anointing oil either it was a, a sticky thing and it was and I'll never forget we had one particular pew 
that it, it was like these. It, it was two things on the side, and in the middle, it only had one little leg that was supporting it in the middle. And we had one particular pew that would constantly, that leg in the middle would, would break. And, oh, praise God. Now, all of us church folks, all us home folks, we knew to avoid that pew. But the problem was that if you were a visitor or a guest at our church, you had no idea that you should avoid that particular pew. And I'll never forget one service. Someone came in. And they sat right in the middle of that thing, and it sounded like a bomb went off at the First Pentecostal Church of Wheaton, Illinois, and that thing cracked right down the middle. And I can just tell you, it was not a good feeling. But those were beautiful pews, and we don't see those anymore. Things are different. Sundays are sometimes different. I've noticed over the years that most churches have a huge preoccupation with growth. And I don't think that's bad, and I don't think that's all good either. I, I, let me just say this about church growth. If a church is not growing and does not want to grow, then it is dying. But just because a church is growing doesn't mean that it's a healthy church. Let me say that again. Just because a church is the biggest church in town does not make it a healthy church. That's why I appreciate our pastor's new church motto for 2014. Revival without compromise. Could we say that together? Revival without compromise. Notice our motto isn't growth at all costs. Or growth no matter what. or gro No, we want to buy the truth. And what does the Bible say? And sell it not. Because truth is always more valuable than growth. But can I just tell somebody that you can have revival and not compromise. You can have growth and still love the things of God and love. I know it's Wednesday night and it's hard for us to get excited about revival, but I just want us to be encouraged tonight and understand that you can have revival and love the Lord and love the word of God and love righteousness. And oh, I wish someone would give me an amen on a Wednesday night. It can happen and it is happening at Apostolic Tabernacle and it's happening all over the United States and around the world. Being doctrinally sound does not mean that you're anti-growth. But you cannot be doctrinally sound and be anti-growth. Anybody still with me? Because we are called, the Bible, Jesus himself mandated us to go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we're called, we have a commission from the Lord himself that we have to reach our neighbors and we've got to go into the highways. And that's not just the preacher's job, that's not the missionary's job, that's not, oh I wish someone would get with me on, it's not just the evangelist's job, but that's your job and it's my job. We are the hands and the feet of God, we are the body of Christ and we are commissioned to reach out into this world. Praise God. So you can be growing and not be doctrinally sound. But you cannot be doctrinally sound and be against growth. We have to be doing everything we can. So now I've noticed some things. And here's where it might. Here's where we're going to go. I've noticed over the decades. And I'm going to just look at a couple decades. As we as churches did things for the sake of growth. Not all things are good to do for the sake of growth. Can you say amen? In the 70s. There were what I call gimmick churches. There was a great big church, one in particular, 
And uh, it, it got famous for giving things away. And so uh, they would give something away. They'd give a car away every year, and they'd get people to come, and they'd give that away. And then, and, uh, and then if you got so many people to come to church, they'd give you something. And that's what I call a gimmick church. And, and can I just be honest with you? I don't care for that kind of thing. Is that all right for me to be, to be that honest? I, I think the Lord doesn't need us to give stuff away. He just needs us to lift him up, and he'll draw all men unto himself. And so that was a big thing in the 70s. And then, uh, and they had kind of gotten away from being sound doctrine. But in the 80s, there was a great resurgence and a revival of sound doctrine, Bible churches. All, it became a kind of a trend all over the United States. New churches were popping up and they were calling them Bible churches, Bible this and Bible that. And there was kind of a, a, a reawakening where people were going back to being biblically sound and getting back into the Word of God. Don't you think that's a good thing? We ought to get into the Word of God. And so churches were doing that. And then in the 90s, there was a shift. How many know every decade or so there's a cultural shift? We're right on the verge of one right now. And in the 90s, there was this shift of of seeker churches and uh, seeker churches were uh, were visitor friendly churches is what they would call them and and everything would revolve not around teaching the Bible or training uh, the church or training the body of Christ it wasn't particularly popular to start Bible colleges or do Bible training in, in the 80s but in in the 90s because in the 90s Everybody wanted to have seeker-friendly churches, and so they would do dramas, and they would have musicals, and they would do all kinds of things, but very little focus was uh, on the body of Christ itself. And then, in the 2000s, I, the culture shifted again, and it was the, uh, the uprising of what I call cool churches. Everybody wanted to have a cool pastor, and, and a cool music program, and a cool building, and cool clothes, and a cool schedule, and the focus was on being ultra-modern and ultra-trendy, and being trendy and having style over substance was the most important thing. And that's the decade that we live in now. And, and now what we have, what has begun to take shape over the last 40 or 50 years across the United States and around the world is a kind of mishmash, if you will, of all of these different kinds of churches. And some people believe that the church is only for church people. Church is for believers. And, and other people totally disagree with that. And they believe that the church is a hospital for the lost. The church is for the unsaved only. And then there's churches like Apostolic Tabernacle that say, yeah, we're all about reaching people with the gospel, but this is still the body of Christ. So let's equip the saints for the work of the Lord and let's minister to the body. And here's a crazy idea. Why don't we just do both? Why don't we reach out and reach in? And just do it all. We can win the lost and minister to one another. We can love the world and we can love one another at the same time. Why don't you give God a hand tonight if you believe that? And so let me, let me give you this real quick. The Lord dealt with me about this this week. A healthy church should always be reaching in, reaching out, and reaching up to the Lord at the same time. Can you say praise the Lord? And so we need to all... Now here's the thing. Many churches... Will reach out and reach in, but they forget to reach up to the Lord. 
And many churches get so caught up with the reaching out and it's an imbalance. How many know that so much of our walk with God, so much of our relationship with God is about having a balance in all that we do? We don't want to get so, so, uh, so uh, caught up in, in doing this that we forget that we need to do that. We need to have balance in all that we do. And so today's church, someone said my church, this church, Apostolic Tabernacle. And there are thousands of churches like our church. The challenge of a church like ours that is trying to reach inward, someone said inward, we're trying to reach outward, someone said we're trying to reach the lost, and we're also trying to reach up because why? None of those things matter if we're not pleasing God. You can't reach the lost if you can't please God. Can I get an amen? All you're doing is creating relationships and networking if you're not pleasing God. If you're getting to know people and you might fill up a building and you might can get all kinds of pews filled. But if you're not pleasing God, all you've done is created a social club. And so if there's a challenge for a church that really genuine. How many want to be a part of a genuine church? I don't want to be a fake church. I don't want to be a pretend church. I want to be a genuine, real church. And so the challenge that we face is that we're trying to do all of these things. We're, we're trying to love each other and take care of our needs. And, and then we're trying to love the lost and take care of their needs. And then we're trying to be pleasing to God all at the same time. And so we're turning in circles. And so the larger point that I'm trying to make is that in our, that our church, in many ways, is a blend of all of those four different churches that we talked about. And a church like ours has a tremendous challenge because we're trying to reach, here's a couple different groups. We're trying to reach people who have never been to church. How many think it'd be a good idea? Do you, do you know I read just the other day that now in America, five out of every ten people have never darkened the door of a church. That's a powerful statistic. You know what that means? We ought to be reaching people who don't know anything about church. I mean don't know anything. I'm not talking about finding the good Baptist and bringing it. I'm talking about people who don't go anywhere to church. You know where they are on the weekends? They're at the ball game. They're at the bar. They're at the disco club. They're doing all kinds of things. But if the church could reach them, what an amazing thing. They wouldn't have all the baggage of false doctrine. What a powerful thing. How many think we ought to be reaching those kind of people? But not only them, then we also have a large group of people. We have backsliders that we're trying to reach. How many are praying for backsliders every day? Most of us know people. I have people right now in my own family who are backsliders, and I pray for them every day, and I do everything in my power to reach them. And that's a whole lesson for another day. And then there's people who are in a church, but they're not in truth. How many know it's, it's, you need to be in the truth? And then we're trying to minister to one another at the same time. And when we're reaching for the lost, the saints may feel like their needs are going unnoticed. And, and when you're reaching towards the saints, visitors may feel like their needs are going unnoticed. And so can we just be real? This is the elephant in the room tonight. We're just, we're just the family of God and we're talking about very real things. And, and so we have a challenge that faces us. But how many believe with the help of the Lord we can reach out and in and up all at the same time? Does anybody believe that we can do that tonight? I believe that Apostolic Tabernacle can meet the challenge. And then we live in an age of polarization because our culture is doing everything that it can to create a culture of disrespect for elders. It's doing everything that it can to create a, a even in the political world, there's this constant 
a polarization where people are trying to push one age group against the other. And here's something that I've noticed about churches like ours. There, there seems to be more and more polarization between the different generations. You know, the teens and the 20-something-year-olds want a cool pastor, they want a relevant pastor, and they want even cooler music, and that really means a lot to them. And then over on this other end of the spectrum, you have people who are in their mid-50s and beyond, and they don't care anything about having a cool pastor or cool music. They want a pastor that's right, and when it comes to music, they prefer the hymns. But then to complicate things even more, there's this group right in the middle, the 30-something-year-olds to 50-something-year-olds, and they use words like this. How many have ever heard this word? Blended. Blended. They are a blend of these other two mindsets. They want a pastor to be cool, but not too cool. And they certainly don't want him trying to be cool, because that wouldn't be cool. And they want the music fast, but not too fast. And they want the music loud, but not too loud. And they want the music current, but not to the exclusion of the old songs. And so what many churches have is a group over here that wants it this way, and a group over there that wants it this way, and a group over here, and another group over there. And the great big elephant in the room is that we can never really talk about it because nobody knows what to say. And if we say something, we polarize a group. And so everyone stays in their group and they only talk about it to their group. And so I thought what we do tonight with the help of the Lord is that we would just talk about it for a few minutes. Just a few minutes. Praise God. And so I'd like, I'd like us to do this. I'd like us to start by asking it this way. If we could just somehow bring Jesus here tonight. And we could actually ask Jesus if he could help us with this whole music thing, this style thing, this cultural shift. What, what do you think he would say? Which side do you think Jesus would choose? And you know what's funny to me right now is that every one of us in this room is thinking he would choose me. <laughs> and every one of us in this room has really good reasons for believing that. And every one of us in this room has different ideas about what constitutes good church and what makes good worship and, and what good preaching is and what a good church ought to be like and what ought to look like. And so everyone here tonight is thinking, well, Jesus would be choosing my side. But in all seriousness, I've, I've really tried to think and pray, okay, if Jesus were to walk through the double doors of apostolic tabernacle tonight, and he were to come and address us, and we could say, Jesus, help us to know what you want us to do. What would he say to us? And you know, I'm convinced that Jesus would take us to a very specific portion of Scripture. I believe it would be Psalms 34 and 3. Psalms 34 and 3. And if we could turn there tonight, I'd like us to look together at Psalms 34 and 3. And we're going to look at it for a few moments. Now, I can already tell some of y'all think I'm going to preach an hour, but I'm not. I'm only going to be a few minutes. Psalm 34 and 3. Could we stand and read that together? Would that be okay? This is our official text. All of that was introduction. But don't let that scare you to death because my actual point is very short. The introduction was the long part. Let's read this one verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt 
his name together. Can we bow our heads? Dear Jesus, I pray in the name of the Lord that you would speak to us for a few moments tonight as we prepare our hearts for a time of worship, God. And as that we're going to converge this Tuesday at Apostolic Tabernacle to exalt your name, God. I pray that we would do it correctly in spirit and in truth. And I pray that you would help us to have unity like never before. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So let's talk first of all about the things that, that this verse doesn't say. Number one, notice that it doesn't say, magnify the Lord with me. What does it say? It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. There is something about just that little one letter word that is so powerful. It's so profound and impacting because the psalmist was trying to con convey an emotion that cannot be put into a sentence. But when you say, oh, magnify the Lord with me, there is a passion that you have to have. When, when you look at the person and, and when somebody makes a meal and it tastes delicious and they say, did you enjoy that meal? And you really did. When you say, oh, I enjoyed that. You're expressing an emotion. But if you say, I enjoyed that, people are going to be pretty sure that maybe you didn't enjoy it quite so much. But the psalmist was trying to help us understand that there is something about passion. There is something about when we come together to worship God that we have to do it passionately. We have to give God our voices. We have to be willing to allow our emotions to be moved and stirred when we worship God. And can I just tell you, when you have the Holy Ghost operating in your life, you cannot begin to speak the name of Jesus without feeling something stir in your spirit. When you are a Holy Ghost filled child of God, you are not going to be able to hear anointed preaching without something happening in you that says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If you are a child of God, it's going to be very hard for you to hear the name of Jesus being lifted up without you joining in with your emotion and saying, oh God, I worship you, I love you, I praise you. Church is not meant to be just a casual experience. But it is meant to be when our emotions meet our creator. Secondly, notice that this verse does not say, Oh, magnify the Lord like me. And I'm thankful for that. Because now, I don't see brother, is brother Guevara here tonight? Brother Guevara is probably working tonight. I know he has to work late quite often, but... I love to see Brother Guevara when he worships because when he worships, it's just so genuine and it's just so natural for him. And he gets excited and he begins to worship God with all of his emotions and he begins to pray. But can I just tell you, if Brother Guevara were to come up to me and say, Brother Ryan, I want you to worship the Lord like me tonight, I wouldn't be able to do it because that's not me. I can't worship that way. 
In fact, I love to dance before the Lord, and, and I do try to, but, but one thing you may or may not know about me, I have one leg that's just a little bit longer than the other. <laughs> and so when you start trying to, to dance, it just, it, well, for one thing, it's never going to look normal. And then when I do, I'm kind of, I wind up going in circles, and I, it's not on purpose, it's because I can't help it. Because one leg's a little bit longer than the other. And so if I was trying to worship the Lord like, because Brother Guevara can dance, he really can. But if I was trying to imitate that, I couldn't do it. I'd probably fall on my face, number one. And number two, if I were imitating Brother Guevara, what would I not be doing? I would not be worshiping. I would be imitating. I love to watch Bishop worship. Bishop I'll tell you, there's an anointing on Bishop when he worships the Lord. And when Sister Cole prays, there's such an anointing. And I, and, and I sometimes think in my spirit, and, and this is just me being real, I think, I wish that I could pray like Sister Cole. And I wish that I could worship with the anointing and pray for people like Bishop does. But you know what? If I imitated Bishop or if I imitated Sister Cole, I would not be exalting the Lord because that would not be who I am. That would, I have to be who I am. And so that means sometimes I worship and I dance and I kind of trip a little bit. But you know what? I'm exalting the name of the Lord. And I might clap my hands a little off time and maybe not quite as proficiently as you. But you know what? I'm worshiping the Lord. And you know what? I may not sing as good as Sister Nicole or, or Sister Sarah, but you know what? I am worshiping the Lord. And as long as you're doing what you're called to do, then you are exalting the name of the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I always wanted to play bass like Brother John. I always wished that I could. I played guitar first, and then I wanted to learn the bass second. But by the time I started trying to learn, I just couldn't figure it out. And I watch him play the bass, and I think, I wish that I could worship the Lord like that, but I can't do it. And then I watch Sister Nicole play the piano, and I think, oh, I wish that I could play the piano like that, but I just can't do it. You know what? We have to worship the Lord the way he called us to worship him. But can I tell you what we better do? We better worship him. We better worship him. Whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, whatever it feels like, we better worship him. Because if we don't, there's going to be some stones and some pews and some rocks that are going to cry out. Because if we, the church won't worship him, then inanimate objects are going to lift up the name of Jesus. God is great and greatly to be praised. He will receive glory. He will receive honor. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. One of the hard things when I was, pastor's not here tonight. He'll probably listen to this though, but I remember when I was a, a young preacher uh, and, you know, and I would sing. I did a lot of singing at first and uh, people would ask me to come sing. And then a lot of times they'd say, well, since you're here to sing, why don't you go ahead and preach? And so, <laughs> and so I would. And, uh, but I remember for years, for the first many, many years of, of traveling, people wouldn't introduce me by my name. They wouldn't know my name. They just knew I was Talmadge French's son. <laughs> Praise God. 
And so they would, it, my wife can testify to this. Even when we were first married for many years, I would go to preach somewhere and they would say, well, we're so glad to have Brother French's son here tonight preaching for. And then they would talk about my dad's accomplishments for about 10 minutes. And then say, oh, we have Brother Ryan as well. And he's going to come preach for us tonight. <laughs> and so there was a lot of pressure to preach like my dad. People expected, you know, Greek and Hebrew and things like that. And that's because people, oh, that's Brother French's son. And so you, you need to preach like him. And then they would expect me to, to stomp my feet just like he does at camp meetings and things. And I would have to warn people, you have to understand, this, this, isn't, this is Brother Ryan. I can't worship the way my dad worships, but I'm going to worship. And I can't preach like that, but I'm going to preach the gospel. And I don't sing like, but I'm going to sing because I am going to give God my very best. That's what God calls us to do, is to give him our very best worship in our very own. Can I tell you, one of the most godly men I know is my grandfather, my mother's dad, my grandpa's man. I'm just going to tell you about, there is nobody almost in this world that I would rather have praying for me in a time of crisis. I'm going to tell you, every single night without fail, he is on his knees praying. And when I'd be there for summer... He would, at, at bedtime, it was just understood. We're all getting down to pray for at least 45 minutes before we go to bed. And we would get down and we would pray together. But can I tell you something? I have never seen my grandfather run an aisle. But I can tell you something. He worships God in the way that God has called him to worship. Because he gives God his very best. Can I just tell you? We don't need to judge one another's worship. If you're a dancer, be a dancer. If you're a hand raiser, be a hand raiser. But whatever you are, be it for the the Lord and exalt his name. Whatever your personality drives you to do, then do it as unto the Lord. And thirdly, I'd like us to notice that the scripture does not say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together with country music or fast gospel music or slow pretty music or classical music or acapella music, or with a guitar, or with a piano. No, no, no. The focus in worship is not supposed to be upon the style or the genre. The focus is supposed to be on the name of the Lord. And if it doesn't exalt the Lord, I don't want anything to do with it. But if it exalts the Lord, I'm going to lift up my hands, and I'm going to worship God. So let's focus for a minute on what Psalm 34 and 3 does say. Oh, magnify, let's say it together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Notice this verse is phrased as an invitation. And not just as an invitation to do something, but to do it together. Everyone said together. Together in unity. Everyone said unity. Unity is the key of this verse. And we are not allowed to exalt just any old thing that we want to exalt. The Lord is the only one who is worthy of the preeminence and the exaltation. And this verse shows us that the psalmist came into the house of God already purposed in his heart to magnify the Lord. But magnifying God all by himself was not an option. So he had a passion that cried out to those around him. Let's magnify the Lord together because God desires unity in our worship. And the Lord wants us to be able to worship him together. 
Not being entertained and not having ourselves exalted, but magnifying the Lord together. And not worshiping by myself over here and one group, but all of us together worshiping the Lord in unity. Everyone said unity. All right, I'm moving quickly and I'm almost done. Let me give a little warning. I know some of our music team is in here. Let me give a little warning note on music. I love music. I, in fact, I don't know if I've mentioned it. Maybe Forgive me if I have. Uh, I won't do it again for another year, I promise. But when I first, uh, when I first uh, was coming out of high school, uh, I was heavily involved in music. Music probably kept me saved in some ways. We moved from, from Illinois where I'd grown up, and we moved to Indianapolis, and we moved from a little church to a great big giant church. And I, I got lost in the big church, just to be honest with you. And I kind of lost my identity. And so, but what really helped me is I played guitar. And, and the, the youth pastor, Brother Mooney's youth pastor there at Calvary Tabernacle, they got me up down in the youth department. I'd play guitar. And, uh, and it really helped me get connected and make friends and so forth. And, uh, and so I, I developed this love for music. I knew I had a call to preach, but I was running from it. I love music. And so the first several years... I, all of my focus was on music, and I loved music, and I thought, well, Lord, maybe instead of being a preacher, I could be a musician. Would that be okay? How many, it's never a good idea to be a Jonah and run from what God's calling you to do. You'll always be miserable. And so I love music. So this, please don't take this as an attack on music, but if you can only worship, and I'm talking, this is cross-generational right now. If you can only worship to one certain style of music, that may be an indication that you are worshiping the music rather than worshiping the Lord. Can I tell you, when I was a young person, there was a place, I can tell you the truth, there was a, a point in my worship where I fell in love with music and guitar music and I loved it so much. And I can honestly tell you there was a point in my relationship with God where I was coming to church and I wasn't worshiping God, I was worshiping the music. And we have to be very careful. That can apply to anybody with any genre of music. You can get to a place where if only one thing moves you, then maybe you're too focused on the style and not the creator of the style, not the maker of the universe. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just worship a rhythm or a beat or a melody. I want to worship the Lord. Only he is worthy to be magnified. Only he is worthy to be praised. All right, I'm on my last page of notes. You can breathe easy. So let me just talk to, to people who love music for a minute, including myself. Did you know that when you study the word worship in your Bible, that unbelievably few times is the word worship associated with music? Do you know what word is almost always associated with music? I'm sorry, with worship. Do you know what word? Almost every time, do a word study. Humility. So worship and humility. Now here's another word that almost always comes up when you study the word worship in the Bible. Here it is. Are you ready? Sacrifice. True worship may not always be accompanied by music, but it will always be accompanied by by humility and sacrifice. I think we ought to clap our hands to the Lord.
Do you know what Jesus said about music? Absolutely nothing. He never said a word about music. But he did say in John 13 and 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, here's how men are going to know that you're my disciples if ye have love, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, one for another. I think we ought to lift up our hands right now. Oh, Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to love one another. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. So you may like Pepsi, and I might like Coke, and you might say potato, and I might say potato. You might say tomato and I might say tomato. And you might prefer to run the aisles and I may prefer to lift my hands. And you may drive a Dodge and I may drive a Ford. And you might eat Spam and I might eat Ham. And you might prefer jazz and I might prefer bluegrass. And you might prefer piano and I might prefer guitar. And you might like green and I might like blue. But the beauty of the church is that we are united by one thing that we love above all the rest, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we ought to stand up and exalt his name all over the sanctuary tonight. I'm done. Come on, somebody. Just lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, apostolic tabernacle. Lift up the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We worship you, God. We magnify you. We glorify you. We bow down before you. We humble ourselves in your presence. We reverence you, O oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. I'd, I'd like to do something. I feel in the Holy Ghost. If you're a part of the music department in any, in any way, shape, or form, if you play an instrument, if you sing on the praise team, if you're involved in any way, I want Brother Nathan to come stand with me. I want you to come up front very quickly. We're not going to be all night. If you're involved in any way, I want you to come up front. I want you to come up front. Here, here's what Exalt is going to be. Exalt is going to be a night of lifting up the name of Jesus. We're not lifting one another up. We are lifting up the name of Jesus. And I wonder if we could gather together as musicians and singers. And I wonder if the rest of the church right now would just stretch out your hands and pray God's anointing, God's power, God's might. God could.